I'm Jody Nisnik, and you're listening to So Much More. In John 16, 12, Jesus stated, there is so much more I want to tell you. He then pointed to the spirit as the one who would come, who would further his teaching by bringing his word to life for us. So much more creates space for God to reveal his truth through his word. Today, I'm excited to have Reverend Dr. Stephen Machia with me as we have a conversation around Luke 24 verses 25 through 34. Steve is the founder and president of Leadership Transformations Incorporated, LTI, which focuses on the spiritual formation needs of leaders and the spiritual discernment processes of leadership teams in both local churches and parachurch ministries. He's also the director of the Pierce Center for Discipleship Building at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and he's a thought-provoking author who has just released a new book called The Discerning Life, An Invitation to Notice God in Everything, which I have been reading and I am thoroughly enjoying and cannot recommend it to you high enough. So I'll be excited to chat a little bit more with Steve about the book because I think you're going to be interested in it. Well, welcome, Steve. I am so glad to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Jody. Great to be with you. I look forward to our experience together. Me too. Well, I uh, gave a little bit of a high-level introduction of you, and I know I left out all the loves of your life. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are and help us to get to know you a little bit more? Well, uh, the love of my life is Ruth, my wife of um, 40 plus years. And um, we have two children, two grown children, Nathan, who's married to our daughter in love, Ashley, and they have three wonderful children, our grandchildren. Uh, Brenna, who's three, and then we have twin boys, uh, Aiden Joseph and Carson Stephen, that were born in early November. So they are the centerpiece of our life. Everything revolves around the three grandchildren, <laughs> and the rest of us take second, third, or fifth place. <laughs> uh, but we also have a daughter, Rebecca, um, who is uh, living in the area as well. <clears throat> she is um, works for a large real estate company uh, here in the Northeast and is dating a wonderful guy who we love and uh, not sure when in the world he's going to pop a question, but we're <laughs> ready uh, to, bless, to bless that. Not sure what his problem is, but... Uh, uh, well, we'll just send uh, him this podcast to see, yeah, right. <laughs> see if this he, helps. He knows I talk about him often in this way, so I'm not sure what he listens to, but... Um, yeah, we got a great family. Fam- family is the really just the the best part of life, and mm-hmm. especially these little grandbabies that have um, really stolen our hearts. Well, so, yeah. I on the one hand can't wait, and on the other hand, 
I am happy to wait because both of my daughters are not married yet. So we've got a little, we've got a few things we need to take care of before right. we marriage first to grandchildren. Before <laughs> Ideally, yes. But I will yeah. say there's nothing like grandchildren. It's far better than children. So Well, that's what I've heard over and over again. So I am really looking forward to it because I did really enjoy my kids as well. So Yeah, well then you're gonna be quadruply blessed. So wonderful. well, um, hey, before we start in to talk about the passage, I do want to give us a quick reminder about it. So I want to read it for us. Uh, But I also just want to bring us up to speed in this passage because we're kind of jumping halfway into a scene and it's commonly referred to as the road to Emmaus. Uh, What's happening in this scene is two of the people that had been gathered with Jesus's followers. They're all grieving together. They're a little disoriented because of his death. And these two followers head toward the city of Emmaus. Um, And as they're walking along, Jesus joins them, but they don't know it's him. And he's asking them, hey, what's going on? So they start to explain how disheartened they are by all the events that have unfolded in Jesus's life. And this is where we pick up the passage. So let me read it for us. It's Luke 24, verses 25 through 34. He, which is Jesus, said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Okay, so there's so many good things in that passage. And we did this as a Lectio, asking the Lord to draw our attention to a particular word or phrase. So Steve, tell us about that experience. Where did the Lord take you in this passage? I think the the verse that always pops for me every single time I read this wonderful story, it's one of my one of my all-time favorites, is in verse 32, which is by far my most favorite question in the scriptures. And it's, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? That burning heart, that sense of an awareness, the the fact that they finally kind of came alive to the fact that Jesus was indeed present, accompanying them on their journey home. Um, these two disciples, one named and one unnamed. I love the mystery of that. There's all sorts of conjectures as to who the second person is. I happen to believe that 
it's a family member, and I prefer to think of it as Cleopas's wife, you know, so that there's a woman in this story and uh, a family that is here, and because they invite him into his home, into their home, and he joins them, and mm. he he breaks the bread, and I, I love verse thirty-five, which was not on the Lexio, but it's it's basically the confirmation. The two of them told the rest of the disciples what had happened on their way, on the way, <clears throat> and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So he came in, um, he was hosted by them, but then he becomes the host. And I love that. Mm. I just And so, yes, that's when our hearts come alive. They're, they're burning with a sense of an awareness of Jesus. And that's why we, you know, we practice the Lord's Supper frequently, is because we happen to be people that become pretty for, forgetful of the truth. We become kind of numb to it or hardened to it. So we keep coming back to the same table over and over and over again. We have the same meal over and over and over again because we are forgetful and we need to remember. And we need to come back to that burning heart, that awareness of Jesus. So it's that burning heart. It's, it's not heartburn, and it's not a burned-out heart. It's mm. a burning heart. And I think there's you must distinguish between those three little phrases. It's a burning heart. It's an awareness. It's a delight. It's a joy. It's a, it's a wow. Mm-hmm. You know, the one who is accompanying us on this seven-mile journey has been Jesus himself. And that gentle presence is just absolutely beautiful. And so I, I want to keep my eyes wide open to his presence and his hospitality, uh, even if I'm the one sort of saying, Jesus, please come, I desperately need you. Uh, he's there. He's there to offer, um, you know, all of the hope and love and promises and everything that we need. Mm-hmm. He's right there. Yeah, he's I right I love um, a couple of things. One is I love the imagining that it's actually Cleopas and his wife. Um I think the scripture is intentionally vague, so we can put anybody in that role. But I do, there were definitely women grieving in that room, definitely women that had been following Jesus this whole journey. Um, and so, yeah, I love that conjecture that it, it potentially was um, a woman that was on the road and that he was explaining everything to as well. Obviously, as a woman, that means a lot to me <laughs> to, to see all the women in scripture following Jesus. Um, the other thing that I really love is your distinction between burnout, heartburn, and just a burning heart, um, and knowing the difference between those, um, because Jesus is always kind of wooing us into this space of, um, loving presence and, um, and you even use the word hospitality just being in his presence is something that should feel just so um, comforting and almost yeah. like there's almost the word warm comes to mind mm-hmm. um, just being with him. So I, I really appreciate that um, distinction. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, there's a, definitely a warmth. I would, I would put the word warm there as well. So there's a warmth, there's a, 
<clears throat> grace. There's a, a joy that's there. Um, and, you know, just an awareness. I think it starts with awareness. It starts with, do I, are my eyes open to see him? And these downtrodden disciples with their head, head lowered, they're so discouraged. And yet everything that happened that they were discouraged by was exactly how it was supposed to be. And so Jesus just reminds them, remember the prophets of old. Remember what was spoken of. Remember that the Messiah was to come and to die. Um, and it's sort of like, let's remember the truth. Let's remember the promises, the prophetic word that came and was indeed fulfilled. And that needs to lift our heads, not not discourage us. And especially, I think, for us who live in 21st century North America, we've got everything that we would ever want or need, and then some. It's hard for us to consider following Jesus a road that includes suffering and pain mm-hmm. and heartache and disappointment. And yet that is the road that we are to walk with Jesus. It's this Christianity that we that we embrace and embody and believe in has a lot of sorrow and suffering attached to it. And it's not all happy clappy. It just isn't. And so in this story, this is like real humanity that is <clears throat> you know, Jesus comes right alongside and and blesses and loves and answers questions and asks simple, you know, says simple things, asks questions and listens. And then even the even the word foolish, how foolish you are, how slow to believe, it, it's not a condemning word. It's a it's a closed eye word. Mm. Your eyes are closed. Mm. Your ears are closed. You you're you're just momentarily not connected. So, you know, like Jesus is saying, come back home to me, to to the reality of me. I will take care of you. And so when they when, when they finally realize all this, they just run back to their friends, yeah. sort of like jogging a seven mile journey back and huffing and puffing back into those those chambers to say, it's true. It's true. It is absolutely positively true. Mm. And they describe the breaking of the bread is the is the is the word that's at the end of that chapter, and here we're saying it was on the road and opening the scriptures. It was all of the above on the road, opening the scriptures, entering the home, being present at table, breaking the bread. It was just cumulative nature of wow, this is Jesus. Mm-hmm. This is all for real. I'd love to talk a little bit about. So that's their experience, and yet how there's so many translations for us or transitions into our experience with Jesus. Mm-hmm. As you continued into this experience with the Lord, what was what did you guys talk about specifically, you know, right now in your journey with him as he's bringing these things back to mind for you? For me, uh, today, you know, just the ongoing experience of an awareness of God, so that I can I can attest to my heart having that burning sense of His presence. I think almost immediately of our little church. We've got this great little church in Boston, 
uh, we, Ruth and I are like the oldest of the bunch. The rest are all younger. And I, if I had my preference, I would be in a church with all younger people because it's just so life-giving. But one of the things that we do, Jody, every single week, as the kids go forward and they prepare to go out for Sunday school while we're listening to the sermon, um, we raise our hand, we pray a blessing over the children. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, every single week, I am choked up. I, I have a tear that comes. Uh, I, I, I lose it in the middle of this prayer. It's a simple prayer. It's the same exact prayer every single week. But my heart just burns with joy, laying, placing my hand out, lay, almost like laying my hand on every one of those young children and their families to bless them, to care for them. Now, that's a maybe it's a silly illustration, but... I can tell you every time in our worship experience, when that time comes, I know I can almost anticipate my, my heart's just going to burn. So, or it could be beauty of creation. It could be awe and majesty of oceans and mountains. Or I live in a place where we have seasons of the year. So right now it's, it's winter. You know, there's this dormancy. But I know that spring is coming, and when spring starts to come and the leaves and the blossoms start to emerge, my heart gets strangely warmed in the same way. It's just like, wow, God, you are here. You are amazing. Mm-hmm. So whether it's children or creation or worship or my daily life or my prayer closet or my an experience with a friend or sitting with someone as they're weeping um, with sadness and and angst or you know, it's just, these are the times when our hearts just begin to burn. And we need to pay attention to those. Mm-hmm. Because that's when God is present, very present, very real. Yeah, I uh, I love that illustration of praying over the children. I could visualize that happening and, and, and was feeling that along with you. Um, mm. You know, one of the things I'd love to transition and talk a little bit about your book because I think it ties so well into this. And I see so many of the themes that you've already talked about kind of uh, just expanded on in your book. One of the things that you say right off the bat, um, because the title is the main title is the discerning life. And, And most people think of discernment is when you're at the crux of a decision and you have to make you're weighing out what's the right thing to do and and you are seeking God to know because you want to stay within his will. And that's a very noble thing, obviously, for us to do. And that is an aspect of discernment. But you say right off the bat, spiritual discernment is so much more than a how-to manual for making good decisions from a list of options. Um, So I would love for you to talk a little bit more than about, so what is spiritual discernment? This whole road to Emmaus passage is just filled with spiritual discernment. They were not discerning that it was Jesus. They had actually not discerned even that Jesus's death was necessary. So, but then it just starts to open up for them. So I, I, they tie together so beautifully. So I'd love to just hear a little bit more from you on exactly what spiritual discernment does mean for you. Yeah, I think as I say in the book, um, it does include decision-making. It definitely does. But I think it's been pigeonholed into that exclusively. And I'm trying, the reason why I wrote the book is I wanted to expand our understanding of discernment into a lifestyle. 
like these disciples on the road to Emmaus, to actually have their eyes opened to the reality that Jesus is right there with them on their journey along the way. And that's what I believe discernment is. We're to discern God. We're to notice God. Discernment is about you and me as as members of the body of Christ saying, did you notice God as he showed up in that experience? Or let me tell you how I saw God today. Let me, how, let me share with you how I felt his presence today. Uh, and especially for the men who are listening, you know, it's... It, the reason why I feel a big part of my calling is to help men go to the place of affect as it relates to their walk with God, not just a head experience where we're like buddies with Jesus, but a heart experience. We're actually intertwined with Jesus. He lives in us. We we choose to abide in him. There's an intimacy there of relationship that comes over time, over experience, over good times and hard times, joyful times and deeply difficult, disheartening times. God is still there. God is still present. We need to be growing in our awareness of him in all the seasons of our life. So the discerning life is an invitation to notice God in everything. And the phrase that I use at the end of every chapter when I invite my reader into some spiritual exercises is the phrase, practicing a preference for God. I, I wanted that to be either title or subtitle. I lost the battle for that. I was, so you just I used it everywhere else in the book because it's a great Exactly. Title. I just took over and I said, well, you know what? At the end of every chapter, it's going to be practicing a preference for God because that is one of my heroes, Reuben Job's single line definition of what spiritual discernment is. And he said it, and it just hit me. Uh, Yes, that is what spiritual discernment is. And our ministry, the centerpiece of our ministry is discernment. So it's it's, um, formation, discernment, and renewal. Those are the three biggies for leadership transformations. And we want to unpack the meaning of discernment as a lifestyle of practicing a preference for God. Imagine if we imagine if we actually lived that way, Jody. Imagine if we actually preferred God in our personal life, in our conversations, in our decisions, in the use of our resource, in in our churches. Imagine if if we actually did come alongside each other and say, "You know what I really care about? I care more about your soul." Yeah. I care more about your walk with God. I care more about, are you getting closer to God today? And if if I can be of aid or assistance to you to help you get closer to God, perhaps that's what it means for me to be your brother. Um, Because we do so much else that really doesn't, doesn't really manifest itself in the particularities of how can I help you get closer to God? How can I help you discern God? So the book that I wrote is, is it begins with a biblical text. It's got all sorts of, and this Luke 24 passage is my favorite. That's why I'm glad you <laughs> said yes to my request for this passage, um, because it, it is so rich, as you say. It's just, it just, it just oozes spiritual discernment in my context and the way in which I'm seeking to teach it. It's every aspect of your life. It's your relationships. It's your, use of our financial resource. It's your gifts and abilities. It's your 
family life. It's your business life. It's, it's the way in which you treat each other at church, especially around board tables where there's a lot of nastiness going on, Jody, today. And I, I don't like that. And so I'm calling people to a higher way of living uh, or a deeper way, mm-hmm. I guess, um, more appropriately. You know, let's live the deeper life together. Yeah. And let's stop this foolishness and let's get to the real issues of life and relationship with God. And so every chapter kind of takes you from your prayer closet to your relationships, to your community, to your own context, to decision-making, because I have to devote a whole chapter to 10 big questions every individual and every group needs to be asking if they really are discerning op- discerning from options. Um, and then I give 50-page appendix on uh, a 40-day prayer experience using Reuben Job's material that is no longer in print. And, um, mm-hmm. and so it's my way of honoring one of my mentors mm-hmm. um, who is now walking with the Lord in eternity. But his ministry in my life was ginormous. And one of the teachings is what does it mean to practice a preference for God and live the discerning life? So I feel like I'm trying to plant that flag in the ground as firmly as I can. Yeah, I love it. As you were talking, I felt like I had one of those burning heart moments uh, in a very good way of um, just resonating with where the Lord is leading you and how important it is for us as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside each other in this way. And how, you know, even this morning, my devotional reading had me reading Jesus's prayer for us, just unity, 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 that they would be one father as you and I are. And I just, that I feel like if we were doing some of these things instead of being worried about how our programming looks or how something is functioning, but more how the person is functioning with Jesus, that unity stuff would just click into place. And so, um, yes, I'm, I'm cheering that on (laughs) and, and grateful for that work, um, that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, And Reuben Job is an amazing man. I've been reading his devotional books for years and, um, yes, I can see why he would be a great mentor. You're, you're blessed to get to actually have some space to walk on earth with him. So that's, yeah, I really was very fortunate. And so, oh, he's one of the three people this book is devoted to. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I'm happy, happy to keep, you know, raising his banner yeah. as well. Yeah. Great, great, godly, very humble mm. servant of the Lord and left behind an amazing legacy in all of us who read his devotionals, all the guides to prayer. And there are four of them, and we rotate through all four of them as a ministry, as a board, uh, with the seminary students that I work with. Every year, we're just going through one more at a time. And I really want that to get into the rhythm of their personal lives, yeah. their experience with God. And it's so rich. Yeah, they're so amazing books. I'll I'll put a link uh, to them in the show notes so people can see them if they're interested. Wonderful. Well, you know, Steve, one of the things that I, of course, really loved about your book is your chapter on prayer, because you talk through some of the practical ways that we can practice a preference for God in that chapter. One of them you talk about is Lectio Divina. 
um, which is obviously one of the things that we practice in this podcast um, and how that can help you become more attentive to God and his word. So I'd love for you to just um, briefly tell us, you know, how has that been impactful in your life? Yeah, Alectio has, has always been, um, in my experience anyway, mostly in my prayer closet. That's where it's been refined the most. Um, but we, we do Lexio with every group that we meet with, whether it's seminary students mm-hmm. or as a board or as a ministry team or in our SELA program, the spiritual direction training program, or in Emmaus, our, our spiritual leadership community program. And all of our major ministry um, initiatives begin with Lexio. I mean, every time we gather. So that's the way in which we have prayed the scriptures for years. And I would say for myself, it's been pretty much the entirety of my walk with God, but especially, I would say, in the last maybe 30 years since I've been in spiritual direction myself. My spiritual director really encouraged me in this prayerful, reflective way to be in the scriptures um, simply to receive the scriptures as a gift. And that's what I love about Lexio. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a way to receive the scriptures as if you've never heard them before, like you're on the edge of yes. your chair and it's like, say it again. Okay. Say that again. So mm-hmm. I, when I teach Lexio, I say, if you only do one thing, if you only remember one thing, it's the repetitive read of the same passage of scripture. That's what it as simply as is, as it is. And I take people back 500 so years ago when we started this thing called the Reformation. At the same time that the Reformation came, so did the uh, Gutenberg Press. So we started having papers that were multiplied by having a printing press. So I say, pretend you're before that, before the Reformation and before the printing press. And the only access you have to a biblical text comes from a learned person in the community who has a a scroll or a piece of the scripture, and you and your family are going out into the public square, and that person with that scroll or that parchment is reading it. And you're like, say that again? (laughs) Say that again? Okay, say that again? And then you take that home, and you talk about it around your table, and you memorize it? I mean, that's when the word goes deep. Today... We like to skim across. We're just a quick read as quickly as possible. We, you know, let's get this thing done. And I'm saying, no, Lexio forces you to slow down mm-hmm. and create space where one layer at a time you're peeling back that onion until you get to the center. And it can take hours. Or it can take minutes. It doesn't have to be so threatening for people that they they don't have hours. But the more you sit with the passage of Scripture in Lexio fashion, in prayerful Lexio fashion, the more you will receive from the gift that the Word is that has been preserved for us unlike anything else. There is nothing else in all of the earth that has been preserved for us like the Word of God. 
So the word of God is precious. It comes alive every time it's heard. And Lexio, I think, is the best way primarily for a prayer closet. It can also be great for community. But, you know, I also work at a seminary. I, imp- I believe in the importance of exegetical work, looking at the original language, you know, understanding the context. All of that is very important when I'm teaching it and preaching it and giving it away to another. But Lexio is a place where I'm praying uh, the mm-hmm. scriptures. And that's quiet and alone, private, for the deep work of God uh, to occur. And I, I don't mm-hmm. know of a better method than the Lexio, Lexio Divina. And I, you know, so that's why it's in that chapter on basically describing a prayer closet. It's, it's the centerpiece of the prayer closet. Yeah. Well, I am saying yes to all of that. In fact, I'm probably just going to use that as my podcast promotional piece from here on out, if that's all right. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> well, Steve, I really hate this, but I our time has come to an end. It has just been such a joy to have this conversation with you. And I really do hope that you all will grab a copy of this book. So Steve, tell us, where can we find the book? Where can we find you and learn more about LTI? Give us all of okay. that. Uh, the book is entitled The Discerning Life, An Invitation to Notice God in Everything. You can get it at any of your book retailers, whether you're Amazon, Barnes & Noble, ChristianBook.com, or you have a local thing down the street that is actually called a bookstore. <laughs> uh, you, they're, as, they're not as frequent as, as they used to be. But uh, anyway, that's the name of the, the book. Or you can go to my website. I actually succumbed to this begrudgingly. But yes, I have a website. It's called stevemachia.com. And that's where you can look at all of the books that I've written. I've written 16 books. And this one's on the sort of the, the homepage and gives you opportunity to to order it. Um, you can get bulk orders through our ministry as well. If you're going to go through it together as a group, we try to give good discounts to people who want to purchase it in multiple copies. And then the Ministry of Leadership Transformations is very simply leadershiptransformations.org. And that's the best place to find us and to learn about us. And we would welcome you, all of you, into our ministry family. Uh, We're here for you. Uh, We exist so that you can grow deeper uh, in affections for the Lord in every Mm -hmm. aspect of your daily life and your ministry, your relationships, your service to God. So that's what we're here. Just we're here to serve. We're here to give. We're here to love. Well, thank you so much, Steve. Truly uh, has been a gift to have this conversation with you. I'm honored. I'm truly honored. So thank you, Jody, very, very much. God bless you. Thank you. Well, as always, I also want to thank you for joining Steve and I today on So Much More, because we do believe that Jesus has so much more to say to us, and we are creating space to listen. Hey, Ted, what do you want to do today? Well, Ashley, I've always got uh, work to do, naps to take. But I have a better idea. How about we invite everyone to listen to the Team Us podcast? I love that idea. Let's do it right now. Hi, everyone. We're Ted and Ashley Slater, and we'd love for you to join us as we talk about teamwork in marriage. 
who share how grace, commitment, and cooperation can help couples live the everyday moments of marriage together. To listen, go to lifeaudio.com and search for Team Us.